Well, 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 welcome to another episode of the Fearless Parody Podcast Show. You know, parody doesn't come with a manual. It either does parody a child, preteen, or teenager. In fact, parody is very scary. It can cause every parent out there to be fearful, me included. The goal, the purpose of this podcast is to provide you with information and resources that help you overcome family life struggles difficulties and challenges and to be able to parent fearlessly. So every week we provide information and resources to help grow your parental leadership while growing the leadership of your child, preteen, or teenager. In short, we are here to help you and your children become the best versions of yourselves. So get ready and dive right in to today's episode. Hello, moms and dads and guardians. Welcome to the Fearlessly Parenting Podcast. Today, I have as my special guest host, Elena Robinson. Elena is a parent coach and CEO of Uncommon Sense Parenting, as well as a registered early child educator. She's a mom of two and a military wife. So without any further ado, here's Elena Robinson. Elena, thank you for being on my podcast here today. Thank you so much for having me, Stan. Well, let me tell you, you bring something special to the table by talking to us about our little ones. You know, we, a lot is said about preteens and teens and needs to be said. But there are new parents out there who have these toddlers, who have these little children, and you just have a plethora of information that's going to be helpful to them. But first, Tell my audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I started my career as a nanny, actually. I was looking after, yeah, I was looking after two little boys who are autistic and their neurotypical big sister. And at the time, I was going to be a graphic designer. And what I learned caring for those kids just completely blew my mind and changed my focus entirely. And within six months of living with them, I had completely changed my major in university. I had completely changed my life plan. Everything changed with those kids. Um, And after I finished working with them, I went on to do a second degree in early childhood education And I got a job as an early interventionist. And so I worked with kiddos from every stripe, all the way from completely typical, all the way up to completely broke the mold and everything in between. And I loved it. I absolutely loved seeing these kids who had so many challenges in their day-to-day life absolutely thrive and overcome those challenges and get to do things that typical kids get to do. And I did that for about 10 years. And then I got pregnant with my oldest son. And in that process, I was switched over to a parent coaching role. And at the time, I thought it was the end of the world, (laughs) because I loved working one on one with little ones so much. But after a few months, I realized that this was really where... Well, I'm yeah, sorry, for a second, my, my recording stopped. So oh, no. <laughs> if, we, if we take it back to the parody, uh, you know, where you were talking about where you were parodying, uh, yeah. and then that's the last word I heard. So <laughs> three, two, one. So yeah, I after about 10 years of being an early interventionist, I moved over into a parenting coach role. Um, 
And at the time, I thought it was the end of the world because I loved working frontline with kids so much. But after a while, I realized that this is where the real change happens. When you teach parents how their children's brain works, how they develop, how they change as they get older, everything becomes so much easier for the entire family, not just for that one kid. And so I've now been parent coaching for over six years. And it's my absolute favorite thing to do. <laughs> well, it, it sounds that way. So uh, I looked at your bio and some of the things that you have done and, and, and some of the information that you put out. And one thing that uh, really caught my eyes when you talked about behavior so far as a, a, a little child and, and why children won't listen unless you. Uh, why children won't listen when you yell and and other things like that. So let's talk about that for everyday moms and dads out there that they're parenting. Absolutely. So there's this like natural thing that parents conflate um, hearing and listening. And oftentimes we tell our child to do something, something that we've seen them do before. And They either refuse or they ignore us. And so we say it louder and we don't get any response. So we say it louder until we lose our shit and we yell (laughs) and then suddenly they comply. And this frustrates parents so much because they're like, why didn't they just do it the first time I asked nicely instead of waiting for me to lose my lid and scream at the top of my lungs? And this is something that every parent who I've ever spoken to has experienced, so it's not a unique phenomenon. The reason this happens is because of the layers of our brain that develop at different times. When we're born, we only have two parts out of the three of our brain that are actually functioning, right? We have to get our big heads out of a relatively small hole, and in order to do that, our head has to squish. That's why babies have soft spots. But if the top layer of our brain that houses our language, our knowledge, our reasoning skills, our logic skills, and our executive functioning skills, if that was functioning when that happened, it would get crushed and we would have brain damage. So, you know, we were designed specifically that it's not until birth that we get this rush of hormones and the gray matter that is that part of our brain is there, but it doesn't get turned on until we get that rush of hormones and then it starts to develop. So for a toddler or a preschooler or a kindergartner, they're max two or three years into that top layer of their brain developing and wiring up. And it doesn't finish wiring up until we're almost 25 years old. Really? So for if you think of a baby, right, how do babies interact with the world? They cry, they laugh, and they look at their parents and the higher order brains, the older people who are caring for them, to see if they're safe and to communicate what's going on around them. And so when our children are low on energy, the brain will say, okay, this is all of this like thinking and language and knowledge, all of that's cool, but it's not actually necessary to keep me alive. And if we don't have enough energy that our brain perceives that we can keep ourselves safe in a danger situation, it will actually stop sending resources to that top layer of our brain. So when children are engaged in something, if they're low on energy, 
and you come and you put a demand on them and you say mm-hmm. like, Hey, go put your shoes on. That's what the parents are always saying. They know how to put their shoes on. Why won't they just do it? Go put your shoes on. And your child ignores you. Hey, go put your shoes on. We're going to go to the store. And they ignore you. Put your dang shoes on. And then suddenly they hop up and they go do it. It's because they were engaged in something. They weren't getting resources sent up to that top layer of their brain because they were on like kind of like maintenance mode. Okay. And then when you start yelling, the brain goes, danger. And we get a flood of a hormone called cortisol. And cortisol is like emergency energy. It's a stress hormone. And often we hear about cortisol when we're talking about like sleep training and you mm-hmm. know, stressed kids, kids who are in orphanages, stuff like that. But everybody has cortisol. It's just the matter of how much we have in our brain in any particular time. So when you yell, you spike your child's cortisol, which gives them the energy their brain needed in order to access those higher mental functions. And suddenly they go and do it because they are trying to keep themselves safe. Right. And you think about like back in the day when we were on the Savannah, you needed to be able to up your arousal if like a lion was coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) You need to take it up to that next level. So if I'm hearing you correctly, in some ways uh, your child, when they get into this condition, they're sort of like on empty. Yeah. Exactly. And right. A lot of parents think that energy, like we wake up in the morning and we're full of energy and then gradually throughout the day we deplete until basically we get home and we pass out in the evening. But if that were the case, we would all be morning people. We would all be on our best behavior first thing in the morning, fresh as daisies. And then as the day went on, we would start to fade. And by dinner time, we'd barely be able to drag our butts to bed. I am living proof that that is not the case because I am at my worst between the hours of like 2 a.m. and noon. (laughs) I'm not a morning person. How energy actually works is that we wake up with very amounts of energy, depending on how safe you feel, how busy you were the day before, how you're physically feeling. Are you sick? Are you excited about anything? Like all of these factors that pour into how we're physically feeling in a day. And then we do something that uses energy. So, you know, you go, you start your coffee, you brush your teeth, you get dressed. And then eventually you run out of energy. Or you run out of enough energy that your brain is like, "Mm, we can't do anything else until we get a break. Right. It goes into that maintenance mode you were talking about. Exactly. And so so then you go and you take a break. So for adults, that often looks like calling a friend having a cup of coffee, sitting down and reading a book or scrolling social media for a few minutes, doing something that gives you more energy than it takes from you. Usually it involves human connection. Right, right. And that gives you more energy to then do something else that takes a lot of effort, like work or focus on academic tasks or, you know, do things like putting your shoes on. That require well, for a lot me, of for somebody like me, I'm a I'm a high D, so I I have to D people. I, I, my wife says I go into my cave, you know, yeah. something, move away from people for a while, and then you know I have that break, and then I'm re-energized. I can go back. I can have that interaction. So let me ask you this: When your child gets into that maintenance mode, uh, and you have a place to go, and they do need to put on their shoes, and you got to make some get to somewhere at a particular time. Maybe it's a doctor's appointment. Maybe mm-hmm. it's dropping them off at daycare or dropping them off at school. 
how should a parent handle their child when they're in this maintenance mode? Yeah. So the first thing is to try and prevent them from going into maintenance mode. Okay. Like proactively giving them those breaks. Most children, once we watch them for a little while, we can tell when they're starting to go into that maintenance mode because they start disassociating, they start disengaging with their parents and with their environment. So it's at that point, if we can recognize that, that we give them a break proactively because that will refill their tank. They won't go into that maintenance mode to begin with, which means they'll be engaged, alert, and available to meet the demands that you're going to put on them in a few minutes. Once they're there, though, the really important thing is to reduce the demands on them and increase the amount of sensory input that they're getting. So for little kids, this is usually running, jumping, spinning, um, big, deep hugs, singing, right? That you see these videos of toddlers and they're dancing and they're singing in circles and because that is regulating for their nervous system. What we're trying to do is get their nervous system reengaged and keep it engaged at that like nice medium level, not super hyper, not lethargic, right in the middle. So if you have the time, and usually it takes way less time to engage your child in a sensory activity than it does to yell at them and deal with the resulting meltdown that comes afterwards. <laughs> All it takes is five to 10 minutes to be like, hey, let's go dance. Or um, a lot of times when kids are upset, that's when you see the activities that are most calming for them. For a lot of kids, that's hitting. And I, I'll put myself in that category. I'm a hitter when I feel like I'm low on energy or like something's attacking me, my first instinct is to hit it. But that doesn't mean that I have to hit people. I can, I have learned over my lifetime that I can hit a punching bag. I can hit a couch. I can hit a bed. And well, you may, you may drum, you may yeah, drumming, tap, throwing you know, is usually it, a good one because it activates the same joints in your arm. So you can engage your child in these activities in an appropriate way to refill their tank. And then once you can see that they start talking again is usually the good indicator that they've calmed down. Children, the, usually the first thing when they're dysregulated for them to lose is their language. They stop talking or they start talking gibberish. And so once they start talking again, once you can see that they're calm, alert, and engaged, then you can say, okay, now let's go put on our shoes and go. The alternative, if you're really in a time crunch, is to just pick up the shoes, pick up the toddler, put them in the car and go, right? Reduce the demand. Well, you know, I, I think about what you said. It, it reminds me what, because uh, in Royal Rangers, I, I was a leader of boys, third through fifth grade. Mm. We'd have a classroom setting and uh, we'd have our Bible study. And by that time, okay, they've been in classroom all day at school down there up here in class. So we're going out to the playground. And so they hit the door and I said, so how do we go to the playground? As loud as we can, as fast as we can. So when they hit the church doors and they get out, they run. I said, I can't hear you. And, and they're just screaming at the top of their voice and running down. And parents look at me like I'm crazy. I said, they need to go be boys, okay? They've been cooped up in class all day. I just had a classroom thing over here. So they're going to behave better for me Yes. if I let them out. Now, you're breaking down the science of why that is true. I, experience has taught me through hard lessons and also just remembering what it was to be a boy. Yeah. And, and when they go out there and, and you know, they get dirty, well, 
oh, my mom's going to say, oh, that's all right. You're a boy. I'll, I'll smooth it over with your mom. But, you know, just to let them run and everything. And I found they were more well behaved when they came back. Absolutely. In the classroom. And, and we did our devotion. Uh, I would have their attention. Yeah. For the most part. So uh, just chiming in on that, because now, now I, I know the science behind it. <laughs> Exactly. Right. And it's so much easier for parents to make those decisions when they understand the science behind how their child's brain works, because it doesn't feel so personal. A lot of parents that I talk to are like, they're intentionally not listening to me because and they've made up in their head because they hate me or because they're trying to give me a hard time or because they're rude or whatever. No, it's because their brain literally does not have the capacity to do what you're asking it to do in that moment. And if you know that, it's a lot easier to make these intentional decisions about how you're going to approach your child. And then their behavior, because you're working with their brain instead of mm-hmm. against it, their behavior is so much better. <laughs> and and that must be when you're, when you're talking about working with uh, parents in a positive manner and empowering them. It's just knowing these things. Knowledge is power. Exactly. And it empowers you to become the best parent for your child that you can be. Not what everybody else could be, but what you could be for what your specific child needs. Exactly. Well, I want you to tell us, uh, Elena, where can my parents find you out there on the internet? You can find me. Yeah, you can find me at alanarobinson.com and um, two L's, one N, A-L-L-A-N-A. And you can find me on social media, on Instagram. I'm at Parenting Posse. And on Facebook, we have a Facebook group of over 10,000 parents called the Parenting Posse with Alana Robinson. That is a great place to connect with me as well. Well, I tell you what, Elena, I'm going to have you back again. And the first thing I'm going to talk to you about is this parenting posse thing. But for this episode, parents, that's all that we have. So until next time, God bless. Well, that concludes another awesome episode. Please, please check out the podcast description where you'll find links to family and parenting resources. And I want to thank you, moms, dads, and guardians, for listening to today's Fearless Parody Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show and that it added value to you and your family. And I want to leave you with something that was what said by two-time Nobel Prize recipient Marie Curie, who once said that nothing in life is to be feared. It's only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. That is why we have this show, to help you understand more about parenting so that you can fear less. So I want to challenge you, like I always do, to go forth and fearlessly parent. God bless.